and welcome to the Born Together podcast. I'm Techie Quay and this podcast is all about women sharing their stories of being both mothers and themselves. Thanks for tuning in and happy listening. Today I'm speaking with Vicky Kingsnorth who takes us through her first year of motherhood. She opens up about her birth experience, a planned cesarean and the journey with her daughter who is diagnosed with hip dysplasia. Vicky's story is a great illustration of gaining confidence in yourself as a mother and advocating for your child. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi Vicky, thanks for making time to chat with me today. Hi Taki, hi everyone. Um, Shall we jump in and start with a little bit about yourself and your family? Yep, okay, so um, I'm Vicky, um, I've got a little girl, Ella, who is 13 months old now, can't believe how quickly that last year has gone, um, and I am married to my husband, Dave, and, and we live in a lovely little flat in South East London. I um, am a freelancer, I mainly do virtual PA services um, and other little bits and bobs, my husband works full time, so um, I'm at the moment not working. So I'm primary carer to Ella. I'm 33 years old as well. I don't know if that's of any interest to your listeners. <laughs> um, and so is my husband, actually. We're exactly a month apart. And yeah, so we we live as a family of three and uh, yeah, navigating our way through parenthood. Well, it's no small job, that's for sure. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and what was life like before becoming a mum? Right, okay. Um let's look back back to those wonderful days. So I um had been freelancing about a year or so before we had Ella. It was a conscious decision that myself um and together with Dave made that, you know, it was something I wanted to work towards so that I could be more in control of my hours and be able to work from home and kind of work around looking after our child. So before that, I was working in various kind of marketing events and PA roles, then started to take on my own clients. So I, I was used to kind of being at home a lot before we had Ella which I think actually makes a, quite a big difference yeah. to getting used to that. Like, you know, one of the biggest things I think, or one of the maybe hardest things when you become a, a mum for the first time is getting used to being at home so much um, and being with yourself. Obviously, you're with your baby. but So I feel like that did kind of set me up quite well, actually. But yeah, so we, you know... I was working from home and we used to do lots of traveling before Ella came along. You know, we we loved our holidays. We would probably take (laughs) two big trips a year to kind of beautifully hot places where we could drink cocktails on the beach and do treks and all these different things. We like quite outdoorsy holidays actually as well, as well as sitting on the beach. We always like to mix it up. So yeah, we did a lot of traveling and just, you know, that freedom to explore London as and when you want, you know, so we used to eat out a lot. I love my food. I love to cook, but I also love to eat out and take pictures of all my food. I am one of those people. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I think as well, actually, yeah, eating out was a big part of our lives before Ella which obviously, again, that, that's changed quite a lot. And, yeah, so I think that's that's really how I spend most of my time, kind of eating, drinking and holidaying when we could. Um, <laughs> so myself. Just yeah, especially now, yeah. like, we're talking about being locked down. It's like, oh, it'd be so nice to just be out. <laughs> just to be out, exactly. We were saying, obviously, the weather here 
in London has been glorious um, and it would just be so nice to sit in a pub garden yeah <laughs> with a nice Aperol spritz <laughs> yeah so yeah so I think that that's kind of what life was like before yeah. Ella um, it sounds pretty dreamy yeah it was <laughs> and have you guys had serious conversations then about starting a family I guess if you made the decision to come and work from home and start setting yourself up it was a I don't know do you say a goal that you were or the next step yeah. I guess for you guys yeah because we, we've been married so we've just had our sixth wedding anniversary um whoop, whoop. so we got married yeah whoop, whoop. we got married <laughs> I think I was 26 or just turned 27 so compared to our friends, actually, we were, we were one of the first, and it was it was definitely it was like kind of naturally the next step for us. And we've always spoken about having kids, and we felt the time was right. Like I said, yeah, so I'd moved obviously to freelancing, and yeah, you know, it was very much planned. You know, we we were quite lucky. We, I mean, I think we were trying for like four or five months. We did have a little break in between because we had a, a wedding in Italy. <laughs> and we were going away for a week with some friends, and we would, and I was like, well, I'm not pregnant yet, so we just pop it on a hot pause for for a month so I can uh, enjoy my Italian holiday yeah. <laughs> so yeah so we did that but no we, we were actually really lucky so it was it was planned and yeah I think it was like four or five months of trying so you know it was really quite quick for us um, yeah. but yeah no it was very much discussed and and planned for us and chosen that this would be a good time and we actually met yeah. um during NCT classes yeah we, we did we did friends. Um, so yeah. I sort of know your story from late pregnancy, but how was the beginning of your pregnancy? So um, I so I had nausea, all, like just awful, awful, awful. Um, but I think I was actually only sick once, which I think at the time, because obviously at that stage, the first trimester, you're not showing really at all. No. <laughs> so if your husband, it's just not a tangible thing. Like it's you're literally just they they can't see that you're pregnant. They don't they don't see any difference and. You know, you're there being like, oh, God, I feel like horrific. And what the you're hell is it that you're cooking? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what is that smell? That is oh, disgusting. And then or like something you've eaten for lunch. And then your husband thinks, OK, well, it's safe for me to eat that for dinner. And you're like, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever smelled. Get it out of my flat right now. And he's just like, you're absolutely crazy. And obviously not seeing me be sick. I think Dave was a bit like, well, yeah at least you're not being sick and I was like I still feel crap yeah yeah and I think obviously when you are being sick you wish you weren't being yeah. sick but um yeah so I, I really suffered with the nausea actually quite badly and but literally at the kind of 11 12 weeks it completely lifted and um after that to be honest I had I I really enjoyed my pregnancy I felt quite good um, especially in that second trimester, I I had quite a small bump, but then actually at the tw- at the twenty week scan, everything was fine. But then they found and Ella's the circumference I think of her head was one of the measurements, and it was showing up just slightly below what it should be. So at that point they were like, okay, come back in a month just for another scan. And actually, although I so I really enjoyed being pregnant. But there was in the back of my mind these extra scans that were going on, and they did happen a kind of every month after the twenty week scan. And I think Ella was like seven months, and they it kind of went to every two weeks the scans because I think they found that her stomach again had just dropped, like literally like 
I don't know if it's in percentiles or what, but you know the, the graphs that you you get when you at, at your scan to show where they are on the line. Again, it was like just just below. So they you know they wanted us to keep coming in, and I think at that point, I think it was like seven months. I was like, and my bump was small, and lots of people were commenting on it as well, which obviously. I, I found really annoying yeah. but um you know I was like mm, she's she's gonna come early I just know she's gonna come early I didn't think she'd come as early as she did but um I think it was at one of my midwife appointments and it was at 34 weeks and you know how they measure your bump yeah but I found that I found it a bit silly because I found every midwife measured it from a different point but she was like no your, your bump has definitely shrunk and I was like are you sure and she's like no I think it's shrunk like an inch and I was like oh she's like it's probably just, just safest to go into hospital get them to have a little li- proper listen and I was like okay and that was on a Tuesday so I went into hospital and they were like no the baby sounds fine you're obviously asking all the questions about movement and then you start second guessing yourself don't you because you're like well actually is she moving less I don't know and um, all these things and, and she was breached as well at this point so I could feel her kicking in like weird places and um, but they were like nope fine go home uh, but come, I think they asked me to come back on the Thursday and I went back in on the Thursday and I just knew I knew I probably wouldn't be coming out without baby oh wow um, <laughs> I just knew I just you just I just had this feeling and we were having our bathroom done at, them at that point as well because we were thinking well five weeks before due date it's absolutely fine so I hadn't had a, I didn't have, didn't have a shower in my flat for two weeks at this, well, this was like 10 days at this point. Um, we were having to shower at friends' houses and there was no toilet in the daytime. The builders were putting it back at night for me because I was like, I'm a pregnant lady. I, I need to have a toilet in my flat at night. So I was having to go out and like, again, use like cafes or pubs or friends' houses to go for a wee. It's all quite stressful, and obviously, all the build stuff was in our living room, and the place was so dusty because they were like replastering, like they were doing everything. And so it was you didn't just... get your chance to sort of nest. No, no, and I think that's the thing. That's what I was like really hoping for. I went in on the Thursday, and it was to see a sonographer to properly look at the baby to kind of they really wanted to measure like the flow like the blood flow and all of this and that's when they realized that actually um I think they call it is it resistance but the, basically the flow between me and the baby wasn't wasn't right and it at, at different points the umbilical cord basically it wasn't letting the blood flow properly so they felt at that point it was you know they really need to keep an eye on her um because I hadn't I hadn't hit 35 weeks at that point so obviously they'd rather baby in but at the point mm-hmm. that obviously the baby's not getting enough of all the things it needs then it's better to have it out so at that point they admitted me to hospital and I just remember being so upset I was like I just want to wash my hair before the baby arrives <laughs> um, so I washed my hair for like a week obviously because of the shower situation it was just like mm. that, I just remember that that was the first thing I thought of I thought this is ridiculous so yeah so I was admitted and they basically wanted to keep very close eye on baby um, and it was that I was going to have a scan again on Saturday to make a decision but that they would prep me with steroids because I think it's not until 30, 35 or 36 weeks that lungs are fully developed so everything else is normally fine by that point but it's just lungs. so I, so I had to have steroid injections to prep for baby and they were like look just be prepared this might she might come tomorrow like we might have to do c-section but we'll see a specialist and they'll make the decision so I just remember feeling obviously very frantic and just not feeling prepared no one ever everyone's like they're always late or I don't know you just yeah 
you don't expect it. But yeah, so on the Saturday, we I had a scan with a specialist and he was just like, yeah, no, it's it's much better now that baby is out. Baby has stopped growing and yeah, needs needs to come out. And so they actually planned it for the next day, which was really good because it gave me a day to kind of get myself together. Because I was I was very nervous that they would it would be an emergency. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to have my C-section under general. That was something I was really, really worried about, actually. And it, weirdly, I, again, I just knew she was going to come by C-section. I don't know why. Um, like, I remember sitting in the NCT classes and I was like thinking, I just, I don't, I don't think this is going to be relevant to me. I don't know why. <laughs> it was just this weird thing that I had. So I kind of had already been preparing about having a C-section. And had Both you my... introduced the idea because she was breached that you'd have a C-section or at that point they weren't so concerned about it being a C-section delivery? Yeah. I mean, the midwives had kind of mentioned, you know, if she stays this way, then obviously you have to have a C-section. And I'd been doing a couple of weird, like, kneeling off the bed with your head on the floor type <laughs> things to try and help the baby me. Because, you know, I'd, I'd had some friends that had had, that had had babies in the breech position up until 37 weeks. So, and then the baby moved. So I kind of, in the back of my head, was, like, quite hopeful yeah. that there's still time for the baby to move. So I, I, although I was kind of preparing kind of internally for a C-section, it hadn't really been brought up that much because obviously I was still at, I was well I was actually at 34 weeks the last time I saw a midwife so you know they were still a bit like you know there is still time for baby to move so it hadn't been spoken about like nothing had been planned or anything like that with the midwife so yeah so yeah so they decided you know safer out than in and because they'd given me the steroids as well they they were like you know she should be okay but they, it was very much you must be prepared that uh, Nico were going to be in the room the intensive care doctors were in the room and they were like you know you have to be prepared that baby may get taken away um, if they have breathing difficulties you know we've given you the steroids we hope everything's okay but please be prepared your baby is very small so yeah so you know we were obviously just feeling really quite nervous about that um, but she was born Ella was born at, on 35 weeks she was exactly 35 weeks and we were very lucky because actually she came out screaming yay <laughs> uh, yay <laughs> yeah so she was absolutely fine it was actually me that, that had some problems it's, I I'm not actually spoken about it for a long time yeah no she she was absolutely fine and um, came out crying got to hold her straight away which was lovely um because obviously we were just just weren't expecting that at all and she she was four she was four pounds four so she was she was small but not for babies not tiny but then at that point i mean when you have a cesarean you're obviously a bit you're kind of high as a kite because you're you've got all these drugs going through you um so i handed her to dave and i just remember like lying there i I was i was also very nervous about having an operation i've never had an operation before and you know i remember them doing the epidural as well and i'm just like oh, i just felt very nervous about it all and an operating theater is such a strange place you know there's no windows it's it's just very bright and obviously sterile but it fit you know completely soulless and it's it's not a very comforting place to be having such a big thing done to you and I remember you know handing Ella over to Dave and just being like oh my god okay she's like hey we've done this and then I just remember the anaesthetist I think it was saying right okay like I felt everything in the room change and the anaesthetist turning to me um, and just being like right okay so because at this point actually they had said okay everything's done awesome we're sewing you back up now and I was like yeah okay great yeah and then the anaesthetist turned to me and was like about maybe five ten minutes later so you're bleeding 
we don't know where the bleeding's coming from. We haven't been able to stop it yet. So we need to give you some more drugs. It's going to make you feel like you've got a ton of bricks on your chest. You might feel that you can't breathe. But I need you to give me consent to give you these because we, we need to give you this to go forward. And obviously, I mean, you're, you're completely out of it really anyway. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I, I, you don't really have a choice. I know they have to ask for consent. So, yes, they did. They gave me extra drugs. And, I mean, it felt awful. I just... I literally felt like there was a ton of bricks on my chest. I actually felt like I was doing a headstand. It was really strange. And I could feel anyone that's had a cesarean will know that feeling of... It's weird because you can't you can't feel anything, but you can feel them moving your body around. And I could really feel them... Like my, I knew my legs were... Uh, God knows what position I was in. And I could feel them inside me. And it was the strangest thing. But I was also even higher than I was before. And I, and I remember just being like, can I please have a sip of water? Can I please have a sip of water? Because I just... I felt like I couldn't breathe because my mouth was so dry. And she was like, no, you can't have anything. I just remember starting to panic because our playlist had like been on like three times, I think. I mean, it felt like 20 minutes to me. But I remember looking over at Dave and him holding Ella and just seeing his face. And I remember thinking, oh, I think I might die here. Like, I was like, something's really, really wrong. And I was just... Oh, it was just that look on his face and I was like oh this is this is really quite bad and I could feel them moving me around and I just remember feeling quite panicky but eventually they said they'd they'd stopped the bleeding and kind of I think they then wheeled us out into recovery or something and I remember just shaking from like this calm down off these drugs like I felt like I was like bouncing off the bed it was like this train it was oh, and like really cold and shivery and but yeah so they they did manage to stop the bleeding they don't know what caused it and they had to what they had to do was um they they insert a balloon and and inflate a balloon inside your uterus so that it puts pressure on everything uh, to stop the bleeding and then they put in this pack which is literally like a whole thing of what looks like muslin type bandages i don't know what and you know they pack it all in and, and, and hope that this stops the bleeding so as well as having uh, a catheter you also have one for the blood so i had two lots of tubes coming out of me and and actually ella was still with us at that point so ella never got taken away from us so this is the thing we were very very lucky in some respects but it was also quite scary uh, in other respects but then you know we went on to, up onto the ward and you know started our journey of parenthood but yeah it was quite it was quite hairy for me but ella was perfect <laughs> and i guess that's the thing you went in really worried about ella and yeah I guess. Not, don't, you don't think about yourself really I That's don't think you, I haven't had a, a abdominal delivery but I sort of think I'd be so worried about the baby and then forget to worry about yourself yeah and I guess too different from other operations where the person is out of it but mm. being awake for that I'd be very emotional yeah I think that's the thing because you're you're obviously on lots of different like drugs like um at the time so it's and actually, like, even looking back now, it, it's it's that it is hazy, but also so clear at the same time. It's, but I suppose it's the same, obviously, doing a natural delivery. There's so many different things in play at that moment that it's just like, it's such an overwhelming, it kind of is an out-of-body experience because you can't believe you're quite going through it. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of like looking from above at everything that's going on. And yeah, it's, it's full on, it's full on, whatever way you give birth, it is full on. <laughs> 
and then you had this little tiny person to yeah. take home. How was yeah. the first few weeks? I imagine for you, your recovery must have been much harder. Yeah, I think I felt quite nervous from about my body just because no, so no one really actually ever explained what happened. The surgeons, they just said the bleeding stopped. So the next day they, you know, took out this balloon and pack and it was, oh, it was horrendous. That that was quite scary. But, but obviously it was just, you know, we've got this teeny tiny baby and she was, she really was teeny tiny. And, but we, you know, we were home after I think three days, but, you know, we do, we live in a second floor flat. So, which, you know, I, do, I don't think I quite realised how big, it is to have a c-section you know it, it's such a big operation so going up and down the stairs was quite painful but actually after a week or so you know I, we were able to leave the flat and we did go on like little walks around different parts and things so that was really nice we were actually having a heat wave at the time here in the uk so um i remember the weather being absolutely beautiful and i think that definitely helps actually at the beginning like just being able to like just get some fresh air here and there it makes everything feel better but yeah i mean those first weeks i think for anyone it's such a blur isn't it it's just you're like <laughs> getting to grips with like this new way of life and keeping this little thing alive night becomes day and day becomes night and it's there is no you really do live 24 hours I don't think I'd ever experienced that before <laughs> yes. do you know what I mean like it, it you're just yeah you're, you're just present the whole 24 hours and you, you know you obviously you do sleep but it's very broken and it's here and there and it's it doesn't matter what time of the day you get it you know you just have to get it so yeah I think you know we were just we were just so happy to have a healthy baby you know we just felt so lucky to to have Ella you know and she, and she actually put her birth she went back up to her birth weight obviously they drop a little bit but really quite quickly within I think it was within five or six days um so you know and, and again I was quite lucky that um didn't actually have any problems with breastfeeding at the beginning or actually at all again Ella took to it really well you know obviously I mean cluster feeding a bit but you know <laughs> you know that's something you have to get used to but um but yeah I mean but she fed really well and I think that was great because when we were in hospital it was we were breastfeeding but also trying to use bottles because they were obviously very very conscious about her weight and they know and we knew we wouldn't be allowed to leave if she dropped too much weight so it was also about just trying to get anything into her so actually oh god I do remember those early days we were trying to use syringes because she didn't really want the bottle so just trying to get any kind of milk into her because obviously when you're breastfeeding especially at the beginning you don't know what they're taking so I was like no I definitely think she's taking and, and and these midwives were like looking at me being like yeah sure and actually looking back she she clearly was but obviously as a, a new mum a first time mum they're like mm, you don't know what you're talking about which um, <laughs> maybe they're right but um so you know we were trying to get you know milk any which way into her but actually once we were home again it was something that it was an anxiety that I held on to for quite a while and even after those first few weeks even when she was still putting on weight she was obviously on she was still very little for her age but she was putting on weight it was quite low but she was still following her line so she was putting on weight you know I, I would write down the times of her feed how long she was feeding for um, and I, I actually probably did that until she was like three or four months old because it was just something that had been so ingrained into me because when we were in hospital we had to write down every time she fed so it's just something I took away with me and I, yeah I did that for a long long time but yeah I think um and then and then Dave, so Dave only got two weeks off anyway for paternity leave so he went back to work after two weeks and I remember and I'm, I'm sure you were the same just being obviously you know that first day that they go back and you're like oh my gosh <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it feels scary here um, yeah here we go 
and obviously you know it does feel quite full-on and I think that's when you suddenly feel quite lonely don't you You know like okay it's just us but you can't really talk to your baby well they they don't talk back you can't talk to your baby and I think that was you go I think you go through waves in those early weeks don't you of oh my god I've got this and then you're like oh god wow no this is I think you realize when your partner goes back to work that this is it you know that that you there's no break coming do you know what I mean like this is this is life yeah no one's coming to help you to give you a break you know we don't live near family so I think that was a realization and then I think about a month in there was another realization oh yeah no this again this is life (laughs) um (laughs) yes I mean those early weeks are such a blur for me but I think we were just so grateful that Ella was healthy. So I think that's what got me, that definitely was what got me through in some of those hard days. I think that's what got me through as well. A friend of mine, her baby ended up going into hospital mm-hmm. unexpectedly and had a really close call. And I think that just put everything in perspective. Yes. And then when it's like, I'm getting up at three in the morning and I haven't slept, it's like, but I have a baby who's, who's healthy, healthy and safe. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. And that's what I would always tell myself. And even now, yeah, I think that's, you have to kind of be like, hey, it's, it's worth it. And then when you start having good days, I think a big a big turning point for me was when Ella started smiling. And obviously yes. that's around the 12 <laughs> weeks. And everyone, t- all my friends that had, had babies were, were like, just wait until you get to the 12-week mark. And then, you know, everything lifts. The cloud lifts and you you start getting something back from them and it just gets easier. And that really was really true for, for me, actually. Like, it's not that I hated the first 12 weeks at all because I didn't, I didn't at all. I just remember feeling like a cloud was lifting almost at 11, 12 weeks. And suddenly I was like, you feel a bit more in control of things. You feel like you know what you're doing a bit more. You feel a bit more confident in what you're doing. But also, yeah, I remember when Ella started smiling and just reacting more to things. And it just suddenly felt you're like, oh, I know you can start to see that li- a little character building. And it's I think your reward, isn't it? It when is you your reward. You start getting things back. And it sounds bad, maybe, but it's... No, it but really, it is. You do need fuel. something it's back. It's that mum fuel you need. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, no, it's tough. It is tough. And, um, and actually, I think... So I've got... I've had five friends that have given birth in the last two weeks, or last three weeks, all going through trying the babies, lockdown babies. I don't know what you, we're going to be calling them, you know. And then, and I just also again feeling really thankful that we were allowed to have our partners with us during birth, and that we were allowed to be free, you know, see family and friends. So again, you know, you, it's funny that at every stage you always have to make yourself feel thankful for whatever it is, even if it's hard, because there's always people going through harder situations I think that's always what gets me through the tough days with Ella and I think it's hard sometimes to remember that in the moment Mm, definitely and but when you do it does make it a lot easier yeah and then moving forward a little bit I remember us catching up and you'd suspected perhaps for a little while but Ella ended up being diagnosed with hip dysplasia Mm -hmm. yeah about that journey yeah so um I think I started noticing things around four months. Just little things like when I was changing her nappy, one leg wouldn't quite open at the hip as the other. In her bouncer, she would always kick one leg much more than the other. And I think I just thought she had like a dominant leg or she didn't like, like when I was changing her nappy, she just didn't like to kind of be moved around that way. I don't know, just like little things. But because I think it was at a point where I was trying to finally let go of my anxieties around her birth. 
I was like, no, no, nothing. It's fine. It's fine. And then, and then I noticed that what I, I was like, I think one leg is longer than the other. And I said it to Dave, and he was like, oh, I mean, yeah, if you think there's something wrong, he's like, I hadn't noticed it, but you know, you know, take it to the doctors. So I took it to the GP, and you know, he was like, well, it's probably just muscular, and you know, once she starts moving around, it will sort itself out. And I was like, I do really think there's something not right. So he organised a scan. And it was actually, so because she was breech, she had a, a scan, I think it's at 21 days, the babies have a hip scan if they're breech, and just to check everything's okay. And yeah, everything was absolutely fine. And it was actually the same lady who did her scan. And, um, you know, she was like, why are you back? And so she looked, she looked at the hip and she was like, okay. And this was like 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. I was like, you know, is there something wrong? And she was like, well, I'm not a doctor, but yeah, you, the, the hip doesn't look right. And she was like, let me see if I can find someone to speak to you. And she couldn't. She was like, look, someone's going to call you next week. And I was like, well, what's wrong? And she was like, well, I, I can't exactly, I, I can't exactly say. And I know she's a, it's a sonographer, so it's not a doctor, but she clearly knew something was quite wrong. And I was like, okay, great. Anyway, no one called me the week after. Um, I think it was on Tuesday that I was like, so also I was like, who do I call? Like, what what department? Because this was radiography, and I didn't know who was looking after her. Um, so I called radiography. They didn't know anything about it, and they were like, well, basically, I had to call around different departments over a week period to try and find someone to call me back because no one had called me back. And obviously, by this point, I was getting quite nervous about what was wrong. I was angry as well about how we'd been kind of dealt with. And then eventually, I think it was like 10 days after her scan, the radiography put me through to Niku because she apparently that's who was looking after. That's where she'd been referred back to. And I was like, but she's six months old now. Like, I, I, I literally didn't understand why. And I managed to speak to a lovely doctor. She was like, oh, I, we've been meaning to call you. We're very busy. And I was like, of course you are. Like, my child's not in <laughs> intensive care. So, I, you know, I, I don't know why she's under your care. But um, basically, she'd been referred to a specialist at King's. So we were being dealt with at Lewisham Hospital. And that, you know, they would contact me. And I was like, I've been told something's wrong with my, my baby and no one's told me what's wrong. Like, why can't someone tell me what's actually wrong? And so she tried to explain it to me. You know, she like, I think your baby's hip is dislocated from the scan. But again, I'm not a specialist. And she, she t- luckily told me the name of the doctor. So I tried to speak to the secretary. And again, I mean, this was like three weeks from the scan. And the specialist secretary told me that it was an eight-week wait to see him and that I would get an appointment shortly. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I'd obviously started looking into hip dysplasia because I hadn't really thought about it before because her scan at three weeks was fine. So it hadn't really crossed my mind. So we... Basically, there was nowhere to see him sooner. So... um and from what I had read, I had seen that um, some babies go into a harness but at around six months. It's considered a bit too late. And that's when they would look to do an operation. So and she was literally about to turn six months. So I was like, oh, I don't want to miss the boat. I don't understand how, how it works. So we actually he had a private practice at King's. So we decided to pay to see him privately. And again, very lucky that we could make that decision. And when he saw us, he was actually like. I can't believe you've you have I haven't seen you in my NHS practice. It actually moved us straight back into his NHS practice, and we saw him the next week, and they did scans. And yes, her, her, so her hip was completely dislocated. So she has a form. It's called developmental hip dysplasia. So one in a thousand babies are born with uh, some kind of dislocated hip which is just hip dysplasia, but one in 10,000 can develop it. So that's why it wasn't picked up at her three-week scan. But looking back at videos, it was definitely there at kind of three months. It was only once I was aware of what the symptoms were. And also, if your baby is breech, 
premature, born by cesarean, and it's much more common in girls as well. They, they're they like the four things, and she was all four. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no one had really brought it up with me because we assumed, obviously, it was the first hip scan at three weeks that so everything was fine. So, yeah, so he, we, we saw a surgeon, and he said, yeah, no, it's too late to use the harness. You know, we'll book her in for an operation. So, and, and when they did the scan, so her hip was completely dislocated. There's a, it's, there's a, a very big scale of how dislocated a hip can be. Some babies get it in both hips as well. So hers was completely dislocated. So they said they were going to try and push it back in if they could when she was under general. But if not, they would have to open up the hip and physically put it back in the joint. She was 10 months old when she had the operation. So it was just before Christmas. Um, and then it's a cast for three months. So yeah, it's quite, it's obviously very daunting. It's a very big operation under general. Um, especially when you've got a tiny baby anyway. You know, I, I, was, I had fears of her not waking up under the general. Mm. And those first two days when after the operation, obviously it's major surgery, she's in a lot of pain and she's in a spiker cast, which, you know, your legs are completely skewed outwards. Um, you're scared to hold your child because... And actually now, looking back, like they're so robust in these casts. But um, it was <laughs> very, very scary. And she the screaming when she came around in recovery was the most horrific thing I've ever heard and had to deal with. So that was really tough those first few days. And then she got she got a diarrhea and vomiting virus when we got home. We were in A&E like every day up until Christmas. So it's quite a stressful time. But And then at six weeks they change the cast um, and that's when they do a scan and they check. So her, her hip looked stable then and we had the cast off. So yeah, today marks four weeks of the cast being off, off. We were led to believe that once the cast comes off, because her hip had looked stable at cast change and the surgeon was like very happy with how things were going, we thought, right, cast comes off, she'll be stiff for a couple of days and, you know, that'll be that. And obviously we'll have checkups. But actually it's felt very hard again since because the surgeon pointed out that we can't force her legs together for the first four or so weeks because you might break a bone because the bone's very brittle and you might pop the hip back out. I was like, oh my God. And so suddenly you feel like your, your baby's a piece of china. And actually it feels, it, the first week especially, felt almost hard than when she was in a cast because a cast protects them and they're not protected you know and she she didn't enjoy having the cast off and and obviously it's very strange because in a spiker cast their, le- their legs are, are, are so far apart that obviously they have to like they learn to slowly bring them together but it obviously feels very strange so yeah it's been quite tough and we've had no help no aftercare with a physio so we've been speaking to a friend of a friend who's a physio a pediatric physio who's been amazing and giving us some little exercises to get her feet moving and so she is she's moving a lot now but yeah we we still don't feel things are quite right so I'm going to try and contact the surgeon next week obviously it is a worry at the back of my mind that things aren't quite right so we're not quite at the end of our journey with this so we that is a tbc what the outcome of this story is but yeah the cast is off and i mean that's it's lovely to be able to play with her a bit more you know and she started she has started to roll which is lovely because you know it's it's three months of her life and she's 13 months you know it's just under a quarter of her life and and so it feels major more to us than her obviously she's not going to remember any of this but you know i want to play (laughs) with my baby um and i want her to develop and you know you feel very conscious about you know are you doing the right things so that they're uh, developing properly and all these things so we'll see we'll see what happens but yeah so it's been a bit so I suppose actually maybe we haven't had quite a smooth run but I think everyone has something okay this might be quite extreme but you know we all go through different things and different 
difficulties and when you have a child and it's you just have to learn to overcome them as a parent you know you're there you are their carer <laughs> there's no one else to do it for you you have to just get on with it really I guess I've had the privilege of being able to watch you yeah. over the last year your confidence has grown in trusting yes. your instinct as well as a mum because I think back you were saying how in the hospital when Ella was a few days old you were not sure you mm. thought she was taking in enough milk and then you had to champion her throughout her yeah. whole life I guess and saying no this isn't right and this isn't right and slowly yeah it's exactly isn't it and I think that's such a big message to first-time mums is because I don't know I I hadn't grown up around lots of babies so although I had friends that had babies my my closest closest friends I'm one of the first so I don't didn't have lots of experience of being around young babies newborn babies but you do like it is about trying to have confidence in yourself and you and and it's it is really scary and you kind of look to other people for guidance but actually yeah you know trust in yourself if you believe something is not quite right you know make it clear but also if you believe actually something is working again do your best to stick to your guns because you know I experienced some amazing midwives through being at hospital and in you know when they come and visit you afterwards but I also actually you know came into contact with actually some quite rude midwives that weren't very helpful that's also which which kind of knocks your confidence in a different way so so yeah you know it's it's Mm. trying to have confidence in yourself and if you believe something's not right you know making it clear because you know these things and 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 it's okay to worry as well you know because um Ella had quite bad reflux and I remember going in when she was four weeks and I saw this male doctor and he was like oh is she your first baby and I was like yes she is but she has reflux well try Gaviscon and I was like oh my god it doesn't work you know and they try and fob you off and you know come back and it's like no but I know she it's this doesn't work and actually I need proper medication and again that was a fight and I had to go back a few times and see different doctors and eventually we got her sorted and she once she was on medication she was always better but it's that you do get it from some people and even actually I think friends or or like family members oh don't worry it's your first baby you'll get used like oh you'll get used to it or I don't know those little comments that you can sometimes get and it's like okay well I know but I know my baby and I think it's having the confidence to say that out loud sometimes yeah Mm -hmm. and it grows doesn't it and you definitely you're like this this doesn't feel right to me and I mean even if they are only a few days or weeks old yeah you're the only one that's been with them 25 days it's a bit of a mixed Mm -hmm. bag isn't it sometimes we get the most helpful people and then you'll go back and then someone else is there exactly so helpful and how has it been trying to pair motherhood with work? You mentioned before that you'd gone freelance to fit in work and managing your time with a baby. How has mm-hmm. it panned out the last year? So, yeah, I have had I have had some work since uh, Ella was born. I took on a new client and it's it was it's kind of, it was 10 12 hours a week. Um so it was very much doing it in her nap time because at that point didn't have any care quite young to go to nursery so not that I had a place anyway um people don't tell so you yeah, have to actually book those no. quite far ahead of time I <laughs> wish yes I mean she's still now 
on a wait list for the nursery closest to us. And I mean, I don't think she'll get a place till September. And I only, I did it when she was six months old and she'll be 18 months. So it really does take a year. So if you are planning on going back to work after a year, it's as soon as baby is born, get on those lists. But yeah, no, it was, it was quite a juggle actually. And I think I didn't quite realise how much of a juggle it would be trying to work in her nap times. So I would get up early. We're really lucky and Ella, on the whole, sleeps through and doesn't usually wake until about half six, sometimes even seven. So I was getting up at five, five thirty to try and get an hour done before she woke so that I could use then her first nap again another hour. Sometimes she would nap for more than an hour, but try and get an hour's work done then. And then it would enable me to have her afternoon nap to breathe. Because I, at, at the beginning, I tried to just work in her naps. And it's just, for me... It, it felt quite full on and a bit too much just because you obviously from the moment you wake to when they go down like you just don't stop whether that's even just sitting and playing with them but it's just you know to not have the naps to either just generally sort out the pigsty that is your your home <laughs> from the destruction that they've caused or you know yes more doing like life admin things or to try and actually take you know 20 minutes for yourself to gather your thoughts or read or do something that you would like to do or shower yes, you know it felt, <laughs> yeah it felt quite you know it did feel quite full-on which is why I started to get up early and I found that worked well for me I'm, I'm, I'm a morning person anyway so so yeah I did get to grips with it actually but it is tricky and I think you know when your partner comes home from work you don't I didn't want to be working anyway in the evenings and the weekends you know I'm lucky with what I do that it's not always very time sensitive you know I can do it you know in my own hours but actually you know when they come home you want to hang out with them or you want to hang out as a family so I didn't really necessarily want to be working in the evenings and the weekends which is why I made it work like that for me but it means that your day can become you know very long or you I mean I love my sleep so you know I'm you know usually in bed by half nine to make sure again that I'm try and get the sleep that I need but yeah it it, it is full-on and but an opportunity came up and I didn't want to let it go I have since stopped working with that person anyway and obviously now with corona I'm not going to be taking on anyone any new clients because no one's hiring at the moment so um and actually that's I suppose something that's helped me get my head around this lockdown life is actually using the uh, using Ella's naps now actually for mm-hmm. me yeah. so I'm almost appreciating it I'm kind of going back because I, I, when I started working again I was like oh my god I can't believe I didn't appreciate Ella's naps as before like I did but I didn't savor them in the same way or I would run around and try and do housework instead of trying to do things for me or I don't know and and then when it gets taken away from me I was like oh my god why did I not savor them more so now I'm really <laughs> trying to savor her nap times you know, I try and read or do, I don't know, little things for me. But yeah, it's tough. You know, I can't imagine what it's how tough it is for mums going back, obviously, full time and putting their little ones in nursery. But it's all about balancing, isn't it? And like trying to find out what works for you. And there's definitely no right or wrong. Some people are very opinionated either way. And I just think you have to kind of you have to find what works for you and your your working you know how, how you work and how you are as a couple and who can be home who can't be home what care you can afford you know nurseries in london are extremely expensive another thing um, they don't tell you is that yeah it's definitely factor in until you're actually facing it and then it's almost you almost don't have a choice in some ways you sort of have to go back to work no. for certain reasons or you have to stay at home yeah, and or for yourself maybe you want to do it as well you know mentally it's 
it, maybe you want the stimulation it's a different kind of stimulation and but yeah it's working it out financially it costs so much out, outside of London you know it is a bit cheaper yeah I mean over 70 pounds a day is is a lot of money and and then obviously having to make sure that you can still get back to pick them up and get drop them off and yeah it's really quite a minefield actually and I didn't think it would be that difficult so again it makes it hard to actually, do something for you sometimes doesn't it well, yeah. And, and actually with freelance life, like you don't always know because it is ad hoc mm-hmm. or because clients come and go and part of it is that you are flexible for them as well. But actually when your child is only in nursery two days a week, but for me financially, it wouldn't make sense to have her in more. You still have to work around those constraints. So yeah, it's, it's a big kind of jigsaw that you have to make everything fit. And I suppose if one thing changes or gets taken away, then everything falls down. So yeah, it is a juggle. Um, But I'm also appreciative that I can kind of work around her for now. You know, yeah, so it's it's not too bad. And I'm thinking there's probably going to be a few people who might want to connect with you, given your story and what you've shared. Mm-hmm. Um, how can people find you? So I've they can contact me over Instagram if they want. I share lots of pictures of food <laughs> and my cooking, but also Ella's stories and just kind of I I've, I have tried to share kind of tips as well of you know if, if your child is in a spiker cast or one of the pelvic harnesses for hip displays, you know, how, how you can play, still play and entertain them. And that's something I, I really wanted to share. So yeah, no, on Instagram, my handle is Dalton Banks V. So still my maiden name. I haven't changed it, but yeah, see, so they can, they can find me on there. If anyone wants to chat about freelance life, hip dysplasia, babies and the. Oh, thank you so much, Vicky. And thank you for sharing your story so openly with us today. I'm sure there's a community out there who'll benefit from it immensely. Thanks very much, Tucky. I've really enjoyed it. Loved sharing my story. And I hope it kind of helps any anyone else going through any similar things, especially with the hip dysplasia. So yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in today. If you'd like to connect, you'll find me on Instagram. My handle is born underscore underscore together. Also head to the website borntogether.co.uk for pictures, links and more from today's episode. I'll be recording again in a few weeks. Please get in touch if you'd like to share your story. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love if you could subscribe, share and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking forward to next time.